Franklin Covey's weekly podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm privileged each week to be your host. We're now in our fifth year, 270 plus episodes, where each week we have a conversation with someone from all different walks of life in the expectation that we can make you a better leader a leader in your organization, a leader for your team, perhaps you have a side hustle or you're an entrepreneur, intrapreneur or solopreneur. Maybe you're just an individual contributor in your day job, but you are a leader in your family, in your community. And so every week we have phenomenal conversations. Sometimes they are with authors, sometimes they are not. But today, I'm delighted to tell you that our guest is going to bring a level of, I think, insight and accountability that all leaders need to have as a key tenant of their legacy. Before I introduce him, I want to remind you I'm also the author of the multi-year, multi-volume series from HarperCollins called Master Mentors. Volume 1 and Volume 2 are out in both print, digital, audio, and video, where each year I pick about 30, not about, exactly 30 of my most influential guests and with their permission write a transformational insight about their time on the podcast. Volume 3 coming out shortly. Hope you'll be a a reader of the Master Mentors series. Our guest today is uh, an American hero, not without controversy, but actually with loads of discipline, focus, and patriotism. His name is Robert O'Neill. He is a a military veteran. He is a multi-best-selling author, including his most recent book with Dakota Meyer called The Way Forward, Master Life's Toughest Battles and Create Your Lasting Legacy. The opening endorsement for his book is from Admiral Bill McRaven, who we had on the program a few weeks ago. Admiral McRaven was the author of numerous best-selling books and is a leader of Roberts as they worked on Operation Neptune Spear, which we'll tell you more about in just a moment. You know today's guest as one of the Navy SEALs involved in the successful operation to eliminate the world's most notorious terrorist. We'll talk more about his role in that in a moment. Robert, welcome to On Leadership. Thanks for having me, Scott. Great to be here. Such an honor to have you here. Now, we were off camera. I was asking you some questions, and you took a swig of water out of your water bottle. Uh, Rob, your water bottle is a little bit different (laughs) than the natural one we see. Hold that back up again and tell everybody what that looks like, what the volume is, and why you're doing well, that. Just, yeah, it's just a big bottle of water, and I, you know, try to drink at least one of these a day. I think it's a couple of gallons, but uh, I keep it by my bed at night too. Just you know, you wake up, do whatever, get a swig, and I think it just keeps your body clean. That's my theory, anyway. My uh, my doctor tells me I'm healthy. I'm 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 saying, hey, water, keep it keep it simple. You're the reason that I'm still here. Well, Rob, the difference between you and I is at 55, I fill one of those beside my bed every night. So <laughs> I invite you to. Uh, enjoy it while you're young, my friend. Okay, uh, very excited to have you here. You are a member of uh, the U.S. Navy SEALs team, and you were part of the operation and credited with um, being the Navy SEAL who actually ended the life of Osama bin Laden on behalf of our country, all of our allies, our friends, and perhaps most importantly for the people who lost their life at his and his fanatical followers' Um, actions, including all those who lost family members in the September 11th attack. And you had, of course, encountered his impact long before the September 11th incident. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Um, Rob, I've got a couple of questions for you. I I don't have a history of military service in my family. My father was a member of the National Guard. But beyond that, most of my family members were not military 
related or inclined, if you will. Would you take a few minutes and sort of re-describe the branches of the service? We know there are five now, including Space Force, but I've always been a bit confused around how the Marines and the Navy interact and where the SEALs kind of play in the middle of that, if I have that right. Well, the, the Navy obviously is the Navy around the, the carrier battle groups, naval, um, naval uh, sea warfare, sea power, forward defense, alliance, solidarity. Uh, the Navy brings the ships around, big, uh, the amphibious ships around, and we, need it, we needed, even, um, even though the Marine Corps goes back to almost as old as the Navy, we needed infantrymen and people that could fight there. So the big ships bring in the landing crafts like you see in like uh, Saving Private Ryan, Marines get off, um, uh, and then they do the fighting, amphibious landing, and we're going to hear about littoral warfare maybe soon, I hope not, with China. But that's what the Marines do, involved with the Department of the Navy. And then Navy SEALs came around as uh, naval combat demolition units, and they their jobs were to swim in and find the obstacles that you would see on the beach, do everything from blow those obstacles up, form a, a path for the landing crafts to get in, or just make uh, make graphs and maps of of what the sea life looks like, so the Marines can get into fight. That turned into they started calling them the underwater demolition teams or UDT, and then they started to teach those guys how to jump out of planes. So the acronym was Sea, Air, and Land. That's where we get the term SEAL. So we started the SEAL teams in uh, 1962, and then with uh, an incident in Iran called Desert One in 1980. With a lack of communication, they made Joint Special Operations Command. We needed a, a Tier 1 unit, a, a hostage rescue, high-value target, a direct action team. So they came up with SEAL Team 6. And the reason they call it SEAL Team 6 is because we keep it simple. At first, there was SEAL Team 1 in San Diego, SEAL Team 2 in Virginia. And then Richard Marcinko uh, commissioned SEAL Team 6 because he knew Russia would say, okay, there's SEAL Team 1, SEAL Team 2, and SEAL Team 6. Where the hell are 3, 4, and 5? Rob, you are wildly credited with being one of the heroes that eliminated the life of Osama bin Laden and those around him that needed to be taken out to uh, preserve democracy around the world. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. I want to rewind a little bit. It's interesting that the, uh, the phrase on your shirt actually relates to my first question. You open the book, The Way Forward. By the book, yes. by the way, the book is not just about military operations. Your tagline is master life's toughest battles and create your lasting legacy. We'll go there in a moment. You open with mm -hmm. this story of something I'd never heard of before called the Claymore Mine. It's a type yes. of mine, but there's so many insights in that that lay the foundation for your book. And it relates to the phrase on your shirt. Will you take as long as it requires, tell that story and why did you open the book with that? And what is the lesson for everyone to take away, whether they're a military service or not? Well, the first lesson I learned in leadership and in tactics is to master the basics. Get really, really good at the easy stuff. Like when we get asked, how did you take down bin Laden's house? I said, well, if the guy in front of me went left, I went right. And we just kept doing that. Uh, and that's mastering the basics is something that's common in the military. Front toward enemy is on the front of a directional anti-personnel mine called a Claymore. And it has C4 in the, in the back and uh, 800 ball bearings in the front. So when the C4 explodes, the ball bearings go out like projectiles. But instead of a bullet at like 2,200 feet per second, they go about 22,000 feet per second. So obviously, you want to aim that in the right direction. So what the military came up with on the front, they just put front. And just in case you, you know, didn't know, toward enemy. And on the back, it simply says back. So that, just keeping it simple, aim it that way where the bad guys are, keep yourself on the back, don't get too close. But you know they learned that because someone messed that up. 
But being keeping it simple, this is just a new theory in life. Whatever your enemy is, face it. And that's it. That's what front toward enemy means. That's why I made the shirts. And so it's obvious, but take it a step further, Rob. I mean, you have been in some of the most unbelievable situations that couldn't even be conceived by the vast majority of human beings. Reading your book, I can't even comprehend being in some of these um, scenarios. But yet, your opening kind of salvo in the book is about keeping it simple, making it easy. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, these, these minds are made, I think, in like a convex and a concave way yeah. so you can put it against your forehead. Talk about that and just take it one step further. Yeah, that was, if you didn't understand, I'm like, not you, but if the soldier didn't understand front toward enemy, you can also put it up at your head. And if it rolls correctly on your head, you're just pointing the right direction. If it doesn't, you're, it's pointing the wrong way. And he, there's even little stuff in there. It comes with an instruction booklet. Uh, and one of it says, don't put in a tree directly above you, meaning someone must have done that. So let's think of everything that you may or may not do. But just when it, when it all goes back to his front toward enemy, and that's kind of the motto of the whole book. But also, if you notice in the book, the way forward, a lot of people, they'll put a little quote from someone famous. Just one of my big believers is never, never lose your sense of humor, always keep morale up. So you notice I quoted John Candy from a, a movie called Canadian Bacon. And uh, uh, Dakota quoted, uh, um, um, who was that he quoted? I got, a, I got a, a Deadpool. And it's just more of a, these are great sayings, very simple, but there's comedy behind them. But uh, just again, the simplicity of, not the simplicity of everything, but don't make things, don't overcomplicate everything. And one of my favorite sayings is don't, never talk yourself into an ass whooping. good advice for my three boys. Never talk yourself. Okay, <laughs> let's, uh, let's take that and unpack it a bit more because I do think there is a, there's a, a pantheon of leaders that have found their value by weaponizing the vocabulary, their business acumen, their knowledge, their education on more junior people, and they have found that complicated gives them power, gives them stature, gives them influence. In fact, we both agree that some of the best leaders are those that are confident enough, genius enough, educated enough to actually keep it so simple that no one feels intimidated, but they actually feel like relatable. I'm guessing some of your leaders that you admired had to sometimes resist the, the gravitational pull to being smart, to being simple. Sometimes simple is smart. Sometimes simple is smart, too, and, and the, the best way to start sometimes is to say, what's the worst thing that could happen? And that's We learned that uh, the only time the perfect plan exists was in the planning room, and once you leave, Murphy shows up and everything changes. So uh, something with the simplicity, too, is almost when they compartmentalize different stuff. I'm a big believer that um, if your people know what they're doing and why they're doing it, they're going to be more efficient. But also sometimes it gets so complex in a specialized area – that's where the need to know comes in. And, and, and a prime example of that was when we, we found the woman who found, we met the woman who found Osama bin Laden and she was explaining to us how she found him in such a complex way. We're like, you know what? We just believe you. Point me in the right direction. I'll carry a sledgehammer and I got a gun. I'll be fine. Rob, in the book you share why you think one of the most important lessons in life uh, skills is staying calm and avoiding panic, if you will. That's got to be a little bit difficult for someone like you. Obviously, you have great self-regulation, but I mean, you're a, trained, you're a trained assassin. You're trained to get the job done. You've been on 
countless killing missions at night in Iraq and on behalf of your service to our nation and our, our, our allies around the world. Have you ever found that you have to over-regulate because of adrenaline or because of the situation or what you've trained to do? I've not been trained to kill people. I've been trained to write books and do podcasts and lead. Has there ever been some incongruence there for uh, you? Well, I mean, at first, because, you know, I give myself my own advice every single day. And uh, that advice, you know, part of it is to stay calm. But don't overcomplicate it. But if, if you only know what you, you've heard, you would think that it's the most dangerous stuff in the world. But it doesn't matter where you are, you're going to get used to it. So the first few missions are scary. Then it's just more exciting. And then it just turns into an everyday type thing. Um, but it's it's almost proof that the uh, that experience it's the reality is experience. You can't. I, I do believe you only know unless you were there at the time. You only know what you were told. But once you get somewhere and get the experience, um, it it doesn't necessarily get easier. But it's, but it's easier to simplify if that makes any kind of sense at all. It, it does. Uh, let's talk about what you're most well known for, and that's your uh, role in uh, Operation Neptune Spear. I read about six months ago Chris Wallace's book, uh, Countdown Bin Laden. Not a natural kind of book I yes. would read. You can see from the set behind me. To the extent you read that book or are familiar with it, how accurate did Chris Wallace portray the actions to eliminate bin Laden? He, he pretty much nailed it head on. And that was because he was given access to pretty much everyone involved with the mission. And he was able to interview them face to face, myself included. Uh, I, think, I think that was a really good book. I like the way he explained it uh, on my part to the end. I love the way he talked about the leadership, uh, everyone from Secretary Panetta up to, obviously, President Obama, Bill McC Admiral Bill McRaven, and then the team on the ground. It's a, an excellent book. I, I was surprised it didn't sell more copies than it did. Yeah, again, I actually thought it was quite simplistic in his writing style, but I think that allowed the, the real actions to come out. I actually highly recommend the book. It's called Countdown Bin Laden. Uh, I've always, I, I've always, not always, since the raid, I found it remarkable how you all were able to carry out the mission in spite of an uh, unbelievable um, hijack, if you will, with one of the helicopters. Now, again, I don't know how much you're able to talk about this. You'll regulate yourself, not me. I'm sure right now you have a riveted several million people listening and watching this podcast. Would you take as long as you'd like and walk us through the parts of the mission that you're able to speak about, because I think it's fascinating to hear the, the collaboration, the independent will, how you communicate together, all these tenets of leadership, including when something goes totally sideways, like one of, I think, the two copters crashed in the backyard. I think it clipped a wall or something. Well, I'm going to just be quiet for as long as you'd like me to, and I wonder if you might just share parts of that mission that you're allowed to and what you'd like the world to know about it. We were fortunate because our leadership was smart enough to pick the most experienced people who were available at the time, who can get the job done. And like I said, uh, real world experience is the best trainer. We, we learned a lot about combat and how to handle a situation because we We uh, did rehearse the perfect plan over and over and over, and we did ask the question, what's the worst thing that could happen? And fortunately, the worst thing that could happen is a helicopter could crash in the front yard, which it did. But it didn't crash. The pilot put it down because there was something different with the uh, the atmosphere or the, the, the updraft off the fence. He put it down there. That meant our guys had to go outside. The compound was surrounded by a huge mud wall. 
we were supposed to – my team was supposed to go right on Bin Laden's roof and then jump into his balcony. But they had to put us out because our pilot saw that the other pilot couldn't hover. And this is just great experience, um, um, you know, coming to fruition. We got out and we just started the war from where we knew. We, I, I knew by looking up at Bin Laden's house off to my left, the northeast corner, there was a double door on the mud wall. We'll just blast that. Uh, we'll go in. We put a bomb on that, blew it up, but it was a fake door. There was a brick wall behind it. And that was a realization through failure that you could say, well, this is bad. But we said, no, this is good. That's a fake door. And nobody does that. He's in there. So then we, uh, we learned one way or the other that uh, our guys had gotten in. And they opened the, the, another out exterior door for us, which the cars, we called it a carport. They would go in and out of. And just being, uh, you know, if you want to be, if you want to be fast, slow down, take a breath. Um, and I didn't know that they crashed at this point, but it didn't matter how they got in there. They're just there. It doesn't matter why they're there. They're, like I talk to football teams and say, it doesn't matter why it's second and 15. It just is. What we all have in common is the clock is ticking. Move. So we went in. I And because they put us out outside, I had a front row seat. To, um, to watch one of the most important missions in modern history. And I remember just being proud of my guys because we knew this house could blow up at any second. But that with us worrying about the house blowing up, is it going to stop it? So I was watching my guys work, just going through um, their, their, you know, the way you start a breach, getting through doors, working mechanical, maybe throw a small bomb on there, small bomb. And then we just worked our way. That We were told by the, the woman that found bin Laden that there would be people on the stairwell. She was right. And we just, one after another, kept doing our tactics. You go left, I go right, and kept doing that. And because I had a few guys in front of me, I found myself on the second floor with one guy in front of me. Everyone else was clearing to the left and right, and we, we thought Bin Laden was up in uh, the room to the right. And his bravery, just by saying we got to go, and I wasn't, I didn't think of myself as brave. It was more of, okay, I'm tired of thinking about it. Let's go. And I followed a brave guy up a set of stairs, and because he went left, I went right, and there's Osama Bin Laden. Uh, he was skinnier than I thought, taller, but he's a threat. He's not, he's not surrendering. He had his hands on a mall, his wife right in front of him. It was, she, he was moving toward me ab about three feet away. And so I had to treat him as a suicide bomber, which is, which is um, you need to shoot him, in, shoot him in the head. So I shot him three times in the head, and then uh, we realized we could find some intelligence here, but we have to blow up the helicopter that we put in the front yard, get another one to come in. So we... We wanted 32 minutes. It took us 47, but then we left. And another set of pilots came in with another helicopter and another set of Navy SEALs. And it's just cool to think that SEAL Team 6 rescued SEAL Team 6 on the mission to kill Bin Laden. And then we had to fly out. And uh, again, 90 minutes to get out of Pakistan. And they can shoot us down now because they probably know we're here. We've been making a lot of noise. But worrying about getting shot down is not going um, to stop it. So I'm just going to start my stopwatch. And we just started watching our watch 10 minutes, 20 minutes. 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and then 50 minutes. We got to get to 90 minutes. If we get to 90 minutes, we cross the border and we get to see our kids again. Because we accepted that this is a one-way mission, 50, 60 minutes. You know, then I start thinking about a no-hitter getting pitched at a baseball game where you don't want to say anything. But it's been 80 minutes, got to get to 90. And then I started thinking, I love team sports because it's just great camaraderie. I started thinking about the 1980 um, Lake Placid hockey team, the Team USA that was playing the Russians in the Olympics. And it's a group of college kids that have no business being on ice with the greatest team in the history of hockey, which is the Russians. And um, you, but they're winning. It's three period three, the final period. The countdown starts. They're winning four three ten nine eight. You know, getting goosebumps. And then the pilot came. 
no reason for him to sound excited. He just said, all right, gentlemen, for the first time in your lives, you're going to be happy to hear this. Welcome to Afghanistan. Well, I found the, um, the, the, the story gripping, both in your telling it and in Chris Wallace's book. Other books have been written about this. I just happened to read Chris's. H- mm-hmm. How did the neighborhood not know that there was a, a, two helicopters landing in the yard? One crashes. I know there are, I'm sure there are military secrets that allow for silencing of the thing, but when I think about a helicopter, I live near a hospital. And every night we Uh hear this helicopter landing and taking off and we wake up every night listening to it. How how did, I I just, I I found incredulous that people weren't coming in by the thousands wondering what was going on. Did that happen? They had, had not surrounded, but they were definitely looking. And we had a guy with us that spoke the language. I think he spoke Urdu without an accent. And I still don't know who he was. But he was telling them this is in, this is Pakistani intelligence running a mission. Just go back to your homes, kind of keeping them calm. And we were prepared to defend it, but we didn't want to because we're we're in Abbottabad, Pakistan. We're not at war with them. And he was telling them that. And there's actually, if you look up on Twitter, and I don't know his handle, but he's still on there. The tweets are still up. He was live tweeting, "Why would they be running an exercise on Sunday? I can't believe this." And if Twitter was as big then as it is now, we would have been busted. But we just we that was one of the contingencies we came up with that someone might come out and start asking questions, and we just got to have someone that can lie to them. Uh, gripping story. You have so many amazing tales in this book about the the leadership lessons you learned. One of them, I'm laughing not out of disrespect. I just I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Is um, you never pursue a target over a bridge? Would you reshare the story about you were in Iraq? Uh, doing a bunch of uh, uh, reconnaissance work, and there once, I believe, you were in the hunt for an IED maker. And yes. you, will you kind of share that story A to Z? It's riveting. Yeah, he, he, well, it was a guy. I'm not going to get into the intelligence of how we can pinpoint where someone is, but I'm pretty sure everyone knows anyway. But we're looking for uh, an improvised explosive device maker who was blowing up soldiers every day, blowing up Marines every day, and we need this guy. So some intelligence popped in the middle of the day in Baghdad. And that's when you have to ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? Yeah, we got to go after him. So we're going to drive through Baghdad in the middle of the day. This is a 2007, so that it's hot and, you, you know, that you could blow up at any moment. Uh, but we found a house. As soon as we were get there, the intel kind of went away, but we knew which house it was. So we, we took the house down, and he wasn't in there. So we're trying to think of a contingency. And then all of a sudden, he popped uh, in another house a few blocks away. And we're like, well, we can get there. So we ran down the street um, trying to get to that house. Whatever he was using turned off. And, um, but we took the house down, wasn't in there, and then it turned on again. <clears throat> we ran there. And this happened for a matter of hours, in and out of vehicles, running places. And, and it's hot, and we really want to get this guy now for a number of reasons. Then his, uh, the intel turned on, and then it stayed on. And we're like, that's him. So we're driving to it. But the problem is we have to cross a, a, a bridge to get to that place, that, that house that's all by itself. And that's when we turn, We said, nope, turn around. And um, <clears throat> the reason that is because if you're following it, it seems like he's baiting us into something. That bridge is probably going to blow up. And you, have to, you can't get too emotionally involved. Don't make um, – your, your initial reaction is usually the wrong reaction. So you need to take a second and always follow your rules. And one of our rules is don't go over the bridge. So we just turned it around. So we went back to the base, and all – Everyone was angry. All the guys were mad. I was mad, too, but they're, like, yelling at us, calling us names. Then the junior guys, 
saying that you're afraid. They sent us here to fight, and you're afraid. We could have got them, but we didn't because you're afraid. And I was like, let him calm down. We went uh, a few days later. We're in the weight room, and I saw my guys, and I said, uh, um, well, hey, that guy we were chasing the other day, what was his name again? And they, they said, I don't know. I don't care. I'm like, yeah, you don't know. Hey, what are your kids' names? Realize what's important. You know, don't, don't, don't get yourself killed because you got bored. Rob, your post uh, Operation Neptune Spear publicity has been strong, right? I mean, for some, you've been lauded a hero. I think everyone would say everyone involved was a hero. But there's also been some controversy about the team and who did what and when and where. How have you chosen to know your truth, share what is appropriate, given the protocol of, of you know, secrecy and, 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 and respect for each other, how have you found your sort of sweet spot around the post-raid and all that's been said about it that may or may not be contradictory? Take that wherever you'd like it to go. Because well, I, I asked, I asked a question because I was, I was interviewing um, General McChrystal several occasions. Yes. And we've become mm -hmm. good friends. And with General McChrystal, he often has said that, you know, you never get credit for what you do right. You only get credit for what you do wrong. No one knows the <laughs> thousands of things you did that saved you know, yeah. this ambassador or that diplomat or this president. But the one mission that goes wrong, everybody focuses on it. Uh, I think wow. every leader has to know there's always going to be armchair quarterbacks. What have you learned from all of that, the controversy around who did what and where? Well, that is, um, that's a great uh, quote right there. You're only, you're only famous for what you do wrong. Well, um, I'm fine with it because, I mean, other than having two books published by someone on the ground approved by all the powers that be, I'm, I'm not lying. But, uh, um, and my story has never changed. It's, I, I tell, I'm, I'm just telling the truth. And I guess the thing is, that, you know, if you can tell the truth, um, including to yourself, you're going to be okay. And I don't really, I don't really care that I killed bin Laden. I, um, I'm so proud of the team, and that goes all the way back to the, the intelligence people that actually did the work, the pilots that got us there, the air crew that was on the birds that kept the plane flying and opened the door. Um, the team got them. I mean, that's – and I'm fine with that. I mean, I'm telling the truth. I, I, I didn't – I never wanted credit. I just I, – I, I, I think people should know what happened. But, uh, it, you know, it was a team effort. I, I, I turned one corner following a brave guy up a set of stairs. If someone – I mean, no one's ever flat out said I'm lying. It's just – you know, um, it, it is what it is. That's I'm just telling the truth, and that's uh, I. You know, I I wish that everyone could be best friends after a mission like that. And I mean, people knew what happened. There were people on the first floor of Bin Laden's house. The first question they asked was, "Who got him?" And the, and everyone said, "Well, my nickname was Nizro, NSRO, Navy Seal, Rob O'Neill, because it rhymes." And I guess the most common answer was uh, Nizro got him. And they said, "Oh man, we're never going to hear the end of this." Rob, if I'm not mistaken, I believe also that I've read there was intelligence that this happened. The, the plot up to this lasted years. I think they found like a local physician to concoct a vaccination campaign to get DNA. And whether or not all that's true or not, perhaps none of that's true. I think intelligence should remain for those who need to know. Uh, yeah. mm -hmm. To what extent can you comment on what it takes for these types of missions to come together, years of patience, years of probably second guessing. I'm guessing President Obama had some great opportunities to take him out sooner, as did other presidents. 
what would you say in terms of the level of planning, intelligence, trust that has to go into these missions? Well, I mean, this one was, when I first, and it was a team of uh, intelligence people that, that found bin Laden over the course of years, and that did include the doctor that I think is still in a Pakistani prison. I don't think he even knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to collect intelligence on something. But, I mean, the, the amount of, of not just planning but approvals for all this stuff, uh, I, I, I wasn't a part of any of it. I found out three weeks before we went after bin Laden. But there was a team behind the scenes that I was so impressed with when I met them that it's like uh, – because I'll joke with people like, you know, the problem with us and with CIA is they make too many movies about us because we're not that cool. This team was that cool. These, uh, these, these agents that found bin Laden, they were that good. And then I think the credit goes up too all the way – because President Obama, I think, had five options. And one of them was to drop, I think, 22 2,000-pound bombs on the House. But, you know, and that would have been the easiest. But um, – he he. What he told us is uh, after the mission, I was never convinced that bin Laden was there. But after seeing you, I, you guys could go in and find out and come back out. Um, and just that level up to CIA approval, up to um, obviously the commander in chief. It was just by the, the Air Force, uh, Admiral McRaven, who was instrumental getting the mission sold. Um, the, the amount that was behind this one was was so good. It was so worth it. Uh, and it was it was uh, it was one of those missions that was bipartisan. It, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a Democrat or Republican thing to do. It was the right thing to do. And it went smooth all, it went smoothly all up until we uh, crashed in the front yard and then we had to figure that out, but uh, that worked out fine too. Rob, at the time, Secretary Panetta, Defense Secretary Leon Panetta, uh, uh, at least Chris Wallace portrays him as being kind of the backbone of the, of the politics with the White House and such. Do you see that similar in terms of the crucial role he played? He was uh, he was head of the CIA. I think Secretary Thank Gates you. was in charge of the Thank Department you. of Defense. Thank but he was yeah he was instrumental in all of it. Yes. Can you speak to? Uh, I, mean, I could ask you a thousand questions. I know our time is tight sure. here. Can you speak to what happened after Obama Osama bin Laden's life was ended? Can you speak to what you all were able to do in terms of intelligence gathering, the body, people remained in the house? Can you, what can you share us about the? the pandemonium that happened on your way back to the helicopter. It was, uh, we had seen this before. This was not an abnormal environment. And we knew how to get out hard drives. We knew how to get out intelligence, different little thumb drives, things like that, paperwork, uh, disks, if they, if they had them at the time. Uh, how to clear a room, sensitive site exploitation, which way to do it. We'd done it before. We knew how to round up the women and children and how to put them in one spot and keep them at bay uh, and then do what we needed to do. The most difficult thing was we had to send two guys out to blow up the super secret helicopter in the front yard. And we had to call in uh, a, a non-stealth helicopter. And we didn't have the Air Force uh, combat controllers who normally, I mean, they're the, they're the, most, the most lethal warriors you've never heard of, but they, they'll call in our helicopters. We didn't have that, so we had to rely on our... We knew how to do it, but not as good. We pulled it off. Um, it was a little bit chaotic, but it's something as simple as telling the people in the house, okay, we're leaving. Do not come out until the sun comes up because we have a helicopter over the roof and they'll shoot you. Even though you're lying, it's a deterrent. We're not going to hurt them. They don't know that. As I was reading the book by Chris Wallace, I... I, I got this, I, I, at any point I thought that because of the crash of the helicopter that you all might just like slip into the neighborhoods like, and find your way back across the border. Does that kind of thing also happen? 
I mean, that's an option. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you, you, yeah, Afghanistan's that way. <laughs> so you can get there on foot and you, you might need to cross some mountains. We, you know, we did have different contingencies there too. You know, you can hard point the place, try to negotiate your way out because we knew we weren't going to be dealing with the Pakistan military. It's going to be the Pakistan police. They're going to be the first responders. And that's where the humanity comes in because I don't want to get in a shootout with Pakistani police. They're simply doing their jobs and they're, we're in their country. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of factors involved, but it's one of those things that that uh, um, don't assume something's going to go to a certain way. Get into a situation, and then your tactics can take this. You'll be fine. Just take a breath. Rob, let's end with the tagline of your book, uh, The Way Forward, Master Life's Toughest Battles and Create Your Lasting Legacy. Uh, talk about what you think some of people's most toughest battles are. Maybe give, uh, for someone who's been through, you might argue, the most difficult battles in life. I mean, you've had, you know, your own challenges in life outside of that in the military. Oh, yeah. Remind our listeners and viewers that what they're dealing with is real and tough and, and is a struggle and maybe give them some inspiration on how to keep, keep well, moving forward. You're not getting the past back. So just, and we all have a past. We all have our demons. Um, there's no point in guilt. You should just try, you just learn from it and try not to repeat it. You're going to have, you're going to have a bad day, but sometimes you're not having a bad life. You're just having a bad day or just a bad moment that you're milking into a bad day. Time's going to heal everything. And this is about Dakota and me, um, Dakota and I, uh, transitioning from the military to the private sector. You, you don't, I mean, combat's easy once you're used to it, but we didn't know how to sign a, or write a resume. So, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Try to learn from your past. And, and what, again, like I said, we, what we all have in common is time is ticking. Uh, there's going to be ups and downs, but that's, uh, we, we all deal with that. Every, every day that you wake up, put your feet on the ground, and your name's not in the obituary, it's a good day. Rob, you mentioned earlier that the book, uh, The Way Forward, has been fully vetted by the proper channels and redacted. In fact, in the book, every three or four pages or so, maybe less than that, there are little black bars of things that yes. obviously weren't allowed to be in. But you chose to leave the black bars in. Most people would rewrite the book. Uh, remind our listeners and viewers the process the book, this book and your previous book went through and why you chose to leave the black bars in. Well, the process is you submit it to the Department of Defense, and someone there will read it. And there's, there's other divisions, if you will, mentioned. They will send a copy to them, and they will read it. And if there's something that they deem classified, they'll redact it. And then, you know, you get back your redacted copy, and you can do this, or we can, you know, you can rewrite it, and you can resubmit it. Some of those, they, they were so minute, it's like, you know what? Keep them in there. It kind of looks cool. There's nothing wrong with looking cool. And uh, if people, you know, look closely, they can figure out what it says anyway. How much of your book was uh, was initially declined by the Department of Defense? Well, my first book was called The Operator. Yep. And that was that took about seven months to get approved. And when I got it back, uh, my initial response is, well, we have a book. There, They took some stuff out, little stuff that I was fine with. Because um, I think that if, if you if you do do it the right way and tell your story, don't put anyone else in danger or, or give yeah. up tactics. You yeah. should do it again because we're all happy there were historians when when George Washington crossed the Delaware to fight the Hessians because we know what happened. Um, and you know history is written by the winners. But um, um, yeah, I just little little things were brought out that I didn't think were important at all to the story. Rob, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, on air thank you for your service to our nation. I appreciate the heroicism and discipline that you and your, your fellow SEALs exhibited on not just this, but on literally countless missions across the Middle East and Europe and others at the, 
at um, all for the, the oath you took to defend our nation and democracy. So thank you, sincerely. What's next That's for you? Thank you. Uh, well, I just I started my own podcast, the Operator Podcast, because I'm a, I'm not calling myself the operator. If you do anything, you're operating. If you're driving the bus, you're an operator. If you're a single mom, you're an operator. So what I do now with the Operator Podcast is I will give I I, I am interviewing guests now to get you know their um, their story, but I'll come up with subjects. I'll give you my opinion as an operator. Then I want to hear from you as an operator. What did you think? And if you disagree. Then I, I'll I'll look at it. Maybe I'll um, I'll reassess. But um, yeah, the podcast is great. I do some public speaking. I talk about mission success to different companies. I have uh, obviously RJO Apparel, which is my uh, front toward enemy brand, uh, and uh, you know we just have fun with that. It's a uh, it, you know I, I don't know if I have a, a new book in my future. I'm I'm good with the war story, so maybe there's something else people want to hear about. But you know it's uh it's one day at a time. It's just keep your circle tight and. Try to have as, have as much time as, with the loved ones as you can. That's, that's what I'm doing. Rob O'Neill, thanks for joining us today. You're the new author of the book, The Way Forward, Master Light's Toughest Battles and Create Your Lasting Legacy. Thanks for joining us. And again, thank you for your service to our nation. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. <laughs>